0: You know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stort Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I have another great interview for you today. Today, I'm interviewing Mr. Patrick Campbell, and Patrick is pretty well known in the software industry and the entrepreneurial space, especially on social media. He's the CEO of ProfitWell, the software for helping subscription companies with their monetization and retention strategies. ProfitWell also provides free turnkey subscription financial metrics for over 8,000 companies. And in the last six years, Patrick, has grown ProfitWell from nothing to $10 million in revenue last year, probably even bigger this year. Prior to ProfitWell, Patrick led strategic initiatives for Boston-based Gimvara and was an economist at Google and the U.S. intelligence community. And in this interview, you will hear us talk a little bit about his background and what he gained from working for uh, the U.S. government, as well as Google and startups, and how he got over the fear Uh, That he had to face when he decided to go out on his own to start his own company, Uh, what he's been doing with his company, how he helps his customers. He talks a lot about pricing because that is his specialty is using data analytics to help uh, customers price their products. So he talks about that. And we also talk about how Patrick has gone out and built his brand because I've seen him all over the place. I know he has over 9,000 followers on LinkedIn. He has a few different uh, highly produced shows, including the Protect the Hustle show, which came out a few months ago. And just a a strong brand he's been building and a big network. He talks about how he built that and the importance of connecting with people and and relying on the truth and data and not just making things up. And he talks about the importance of mindset, being willing to fail and, and really working hard to pursue that business that you're trying to build. So if you are an aspiring entrepreneur, this is a great one. If you're someone that's interested in in hearing, you know, interesting stories of how people have built a business, or you're interested in figuring out how to price your business, uh, this is a great episode for you as well. And so without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with Patrick Campbell. Hey, Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Really cool to have you on It's it, This is actually it's one of those interesting things where I've followed you on LinkedIn for quite a while. I've seen a lot of your posts and the videos that you and your team make as well as you uh, know was on on the list, uh, checking out your new podcast, Protect the Hustle when you launched that not too long ago, and just been really impressed with all the stuff you've been putting together. So it's cool for me to get you on the podcast to be able to talk with you one on one and maybe share some of your story and insights with my listeners.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Likewise. It's always good to to meet LinkedIn friends online. Uh, never in person, though. One day we'll meet in person, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, hopefully so. It sounds like we were just chatting right before we started recording. We're both traveling a ton right now. And uh, you never know, we might end up in the same place at the same time and, and be able to uh, put something together. But let's go ahead and start with a little bit of your background. I'd love to hear how you got into what you're doing. And uh, then we can expand upon that and, and see where it goes.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'll try to give the uh, the shorter version because uh, we can always give a long version. Um, right. So I'm from Wisconsin, you know, grew up kind of in a, a cow town, you know, more cows than people, and studied economics and statistics uh, in college, and then ended up moving to DC for a little while to work for the Intel community, and then I worked at Google in Boston. Um, that's kind of what drove me to Boston here, and in both places I was doing uh, quite a bit of like value modeling and, and things like that, and. Just kind of got a love for solving problems, uh, especially with data. And then I, I worked at a, another company called Jimvara here in Boston, which was kind of a venture backed startup. And that was the first time I worked on pricing, and just kind of discovered that it was, you know, something that was super important, uh, but not a lot of us really know what we're doing. And, and you know, it's it's one of those things we kind of avoid or have analysis paralysis with. And ended up starting a company kind of out of uh, i don 't know if it was spite, but it was definitely out of kind of young hubris we 'll say yeah. uh, just like oh, I can do better and you know I, I, I want to work for myself and all that kind of fun stuff and so started price intelligently and in a couple years in changed the the game up a little bit by launching a new product called ProfitWell. and now we 're essentially a, a subscription growth platform. Which we're trying to find better words for because that sounds bleh, given all the other products out there that are similar in, in terms of name and scope. So yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where we help subscription companies grow using, you know, a whole plethora of tools, including free suite of software that helps them kind of identify problems with their data and things like that.
0: Okay, interesting. And I and I'm sure you and interesting the name, you know, maybe it does need to change. I don't know, or, or at least how you describe it, but I know you do a good job of setting yourself apart by building a brand online with all the stuff you've been doing with the podcast or videos. And I've, I've watched some of those and seen how you break down analytics on on things. And I definitely want to get into some of the pricing stuff. And maybe you work with primarily with bigger companies. But I know, having gotten into coaching and being a consultant myself and and having friend, a lot of other friends who are coaches and consultants that have no idea how to value themselves and their services and are always afraid... To get into that pricing discussion. And I know that's something that it sounds like from you know reading your bio and everything, that was kind of the impetus for how you got started with this. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I think for us it's, you know, we work with with all types of companies. I think normally we skew a little bit to more established companies rather than, you know, Johnny and Jane startups, just because we charge, you know, a good amount for what we do. But it is one of those things where it just kind of started with that classic, like people don't know where the value is, or they, you know, they have an internal dispute, and one person thinks it's this, another person thinks it's that, and we just lack a lot of data within that process, or even just a framework within that process. A lot of us, when when we're doing our pricing, it just turns into kind of like arguments and then guessing and checking, uh, which is not the best way to do most things in your business, let right. alone pricing, which you know is so central to what you're doing. Because if you think about a business, and it doesn't matter if you're you know, selling hours or you're selling kind of consulting or you're, you know, a big enterprise software company, everything in your business, whether it's your sales, your marketing, or your product or your finance team, it's used to drive someone to a point of conversion or to justify the price or the product that you're offering. And so basically your your price is that kind of exchange rate on the value that you're providing. And to not have any data and to not have any like a framework, it's just irresponsible because you just kind of keep throwing stuff against the wall and and hoping it sticks.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of times it seems like when I look at how things are priced, it seems like people are throwing things against the wall and I, also, you know, I recently I was invited to join a very exclusive intensive mastermind group if you will, and when I got the price, I just really wanted to ask why are you pricing it this way because it seemed like they're just making things up. I didn't necessarily doubt the value, but I'm guessing a lot of people in that situation are pricing things kind of based on gut and like, well, let's put this out there and see how the market feels about it and not necessarily looking at a lot of data. I want to go back to your background a little bit. I think it's interesting that you went and worked in government and then Google, which is a giant tech company, and then for a startup and then starting your own company. What were some of the the key differences and maybe things that you took from each as you went to start your own company later on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I mean... Working for the government was, was great. So I, I worked in, in the U.S. Intel community and it was it was w- probably one of the most like fulfilling jobs or work that I've ever had. Like profit Well is, is fulfilling in and of itself, but we're helping businesses grow, which does have its own kind of nobility to it. But I think that when you're doing something that's kind of directly connected to like saving lives or protecting lives, it definitely has like a different feel to it, especially when you're making no money. Uh, so that's kind of what you have to you know be there for. The biggest thing I took away from like working for the government is that whole concept of purpose. I think I took away some negative things meaning, you know, things I didn't want and and a couple of those were around, you know, just the bureaucracy, like you can imagine, you know, working at a, you know, an agency that has tens of thousands of team members and government red tape and things like that. Like, you know, there was a joke uh, like I was, you know, pretty green like right out of school and I would talk to some of the, like the mentors that I had they would joke like, "Hey or what's going on with so and so?" and they would say, "Oh, he's been here you know thirty years, hasn't done anything in fifteen and they were actually like telling the truth because you know just when you're working for the government it's it's super super tough to let people go and yeah so that creates hard teams. so I took that away around like kind of performance with that with that kind of goal of you know a unified purpose and I think there I, I learned just a ton about like checks and balances and just critical thinking. I think that was the job that Probably gave me the best foundation for my entire career because you're know, working in intelligence. You're literally working with either way too much information and trying to find a needle in a haystack or you're working with like zero information and just trying to find like something for, you know, some particular target or some particular outcome. And when I went to Google, interestingly enough, like it's, it's a huge company, so it's a bureaucracy and there. You know, the bureaucracy I never really liked. And I think that's where that young Hubers came in of, you know, I'm just going to go do it on my own. But I think there, that's where I started applying a lot of this critical thinking to kind of some sort of business outcome. And I think there, the, the biggest stuff that I learned was around that purpose was still really, really important. I think Google's culture is great. It has its problems like any, you know, 80,000 person company would. But I think it was really kind of fascinating to sit there and, and look at, how they think about scaling in such a aggressive format with so many people and how you figure out leverage. I think that was the biggest thing I learned there was like, how do you figure out the most critical path to get the leverage that you need? So those are a couple of things. I mean, there's plenty of things I learned that I was not a fan of. And I think that kind of relates to the bureaucracy, but it's, it's one of those things where I think those are the I don't know. It's maybe post hoc rationalization, but like it was probably like too like I couldn't have even you know gotten luckier in terms of like a foundation for for starting a company.
0: Right. Yeah, and I, I like that you said you know you go back and think about working for a government agency. They tend to have a bad name, at least as far as you know bureaucracy and not being able to get things done. And I know I'm sure there was some of that, but I like that you said you you really felt like you had a purpose there and were making a difference. Kind of balances not being able to pay get paid that much, but really getting that experience and knowing that you're accomplishing something in the world and that it was fulfilling. That's that's cool to hear. And I'm sure you learned a lot from the the time at Google and the startup. You mentioned hubris when you went to start your own company. And I'm sure there was a little bit of that. But there's also... It's a big risk to go and start your own thing. And a lot of people talk about it. But then they're at the end of the day, they're they're really too afraid to do it. So how did you get past that? Did you have any fear going out on your own? Or were you really just full of that hubris and confidence. I'm going to go give this a shot and not worry about what happens.
1: Yeah, I think I was full of fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like the hubris was more, you know, I can do it better. It doesn't get you over the threshold of jumping into, you know, zero dollars essentially. And I think that for me, I mean, coming from a really blue collar background, when I left Google to go work at this, this startup which i worked at between starting price intelligence ProfitWell and you know google they thought i was insane then and then when i was like yeah i'm going to kind of give up this job you know that that's paying me less than google they were like what in god's name are you doing and so i think what helped me was I, and i don't know if it was like i didn't i didn't like read gary Vee or something like that it wasn't it wasn't like a book or anything i think it was more i got to the realization that you know, life's pretty short. So I had um, gone through a bout with cancer when I was at Google and that kind of like really pointed to like, holy cow, like life is short enough that you should, you know, really do what you want. Um, And I think that that's something that a lot of people even into their 60s, like don't realize. And the other thing that got me was, you know, if you're probably more than likely if you're listening to this, like you have hardship, but you're probably in a position that you can always find a job. Right, you can go work at Starbucks. You can go work at McDonald's. Obviously, those probably aren't jobs you want, but it's one of those things where you can get enough to basically survive. And once I kind of wrap my head around that, it was basically kind of a the regret minimization framework. You know that that Jeff Bezos and Amazon talks about. It was just basically like, hey, like you might as well try. You know, nine months. Might as well go out and try for nine months. And that's the amount of runway I had in my bank account. And basically, you know, started living really leanly and, and and kind of going at it, uh, working, you know, crazy hours. But that also helped too, you know, that fear helped because, you know, we didn't raise any money out of the gate. We haven't raised any money since, or we haven't raised any money ever, I should say. But it was one of those things where that fear of, hey, we need to survive or I need to survive in this case, really like made me work really hard and maybe make some sacrifices that I shouldn't have. But, you know, it still, still allowed me to get there.
0: I'm glad you talked about that and, and admitted that you did have that, that fear, because I think most people do. And I've had this discussion with a few people, especially entrepreneurs, that so often we look at a situation like that and, and we're, we're terrified of what might happen, You know, especially failure, not just running out of money, but what people might think of us if we, if we don't succeed. And a lot of times our brains make that leap to, well, if the business doesn't work, I fail, I run out of money, I'm going to be out on the street forgetting the fact that most of the people I talk to, you've got a college degree, you've got experience at other companies, you'll probably be able to get another job. You may not want to work for somebody else, but you can probably go get a job and a salary and get back on your feet at some point. It's not really going to be as bad as we think. And it sounds like you've been successful in building your your company up to $10 million that last saw on your bio. But uh, even if it didn't work out, you've got some great experience that you could go take to another big company and, and probably get a salary for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, in I don't know, I think a lot of people, they also need to know themselves, right? Because I think a lot of people, they think, they you know, grass is greener, right? They think, oh, I want to be a founder, I want to be a CEO. And a lot of people, that's not what they want. They want to work 40 hours a week and get the white picket fence and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that one is good or bad, you just kind of have to own it. But if you're going to own it, you have to go all in, which I think is, you know, what, what obviously I ended up doing. And, you know, I have a lot of, you know, friends and mentors and stuff who do that as well.
0: So Patrick, when you went to start your own business and you mentioned that you saw this opportunity around helping people with pricing, did you have specific experience around that? And what, what have you been working on? What's been the, the big value proposition for your business as you've been growing it over the last few years?
1: So what's been like the big like value that we provide, essentially?
0: Yeah. like what, did you, what was the opportunity that you saw? And then how did you translate that into value for clients or customers?
1: Yeah, I think it's evolved pretty steadily over the years here at this point. I think for us, it started out as the pricing problem, right? No one knows anything about pricing or they know very little. They might have taken one course in like a grad program or something like that. But it has like a very, very big lever or it is a big growth lever within a business. And so just kind of connecting those dots and and trying to figure out, hey, that, that might be the opportunity, right? And then beyond that, it turned into, you know, where else can we solve different problems. And, and the next thing that came up was we were helping a company that was about to IPO with their pricing. And we discovered they were calculating their MRR completely incorrectly. And so it was one of those things where we were like, Oh, we were thinking of a way that we could get, you know, more uh, spread across the industry. And that turned into the Profwall Metrics product. And so I think to, to kind of make a long story short, what, what our our values started to become or what we kind of focus on, and, and I don't think we're quite fulfilling this yet. But Our mission is basically to focus in on what's going on for a particular business for free to show them, hey, here's this opportunity, here's this problem specifically in the subscription space, and then all of a sudden make money by helping them with specific parts of the problem. So we can show them, hey, you have this problem with churn, you can either solve this yourself and here's a bunch of content and resources around it, or you can just pay for this piece of software that we've built and, and does really well. Um, and that's kind of how we've approached things from that kind of perspective.
0: And how do you help companies? I know you have a big focus on making sure that they have happy customers or that you have happy customers, right? Because without a happy customer, it doesn't matter how you price something. So do you also advise them on that? And, and what's your, your kind of perspective on where companies should focus before they even get to that pricing discussion?
1: yeah I don't know if we have a specific piece quite yet um, where we focus for that specifically. I think for us, our whole thing is around if your pricing and your you know retention and, and, and kind of all of these different things are set up correctly, then then happiness comes naturally right now that's that's not entirely true, right? Because there's a bunch of different factors that influence happiness and influence that retention, but I think for the most part. If we go back to that whole concept that your price is the exchange rate on the value that you're providing, it comes down to understanding what that value is, and then communicating towards that particular value. So that's kind of how we think about it, and, and we do help with folks. and There's more stuff that's coming out um, that's going to help with this, but yeah, that's kind of kind of the structure through which we've been you know thinking through things.
0: Okay, and for people that are putting together a, a new newer you know coach consultant company that's starting to price their products and figuring that out. And they want to maybe price it a certain way, but they're just afraid of not making a sale because they've maybe priced something too high. Uh, what do you normally tell those people?
1: I think if you do a little bit of research, and it, it can be a lot of research if you want to be, but if you do just a little bit of research, you can actually figure out you know, within somewhat level of detail if you're right or you're wrong. I think a lot of people, they think about, oh, like, we can't price here, we can't price there. And again, they lack any data. And so if you just kind of talk with your customers, and you have to do it kind of in the right way, and, you know, you can't just point blank, ask them. And that allows you to basically understand exactly if you are right or wrong when it comes to failing with different pricing schemas or different pricing points.
0: right. I would imagine there's, there are a lot of things that go into your ability to price something. You know the type of product you offer, the quality of the product, and I think brand is is probably a big part of that as well. And you, at least from my perspective, have built a pretty big brand for yourself and your business over the last few years. I see you have over nine thousand followers on LinkedIn. I see your your content in a lot of different places. I've had people, uh, in fact, once I think you commented on one of my posts on LinkedIn, and somebody I know said, "Oh man, Patrick Campbell, you know, commented on your post. He's a big deal." I don't know if you realize that, but you're kind of a big deal, uh, at least to some people. How have you built that brand over the last few years? I know you you started the podcast recently as well. What's been your strategy, and and what's been successful for you in in building a brand to make yourself more well known?
1: I think it's actually been a lot more straightforward than any strategy. I think for me, I used to think don't take meetings, you know, it's too much, like focus, 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 like stuff like that, right? And I think that what I started to find was that when I meet with people, when I talk to people, one of two things happens. I either learn an immense amount or I, I'm able to help them with something, maybe not an immense amount, but I'm able to help them, you know, with some sort of thing that I I have solved somewhat or have solved a lot. And what that does is it basically creates this really good kind of environment where we build a relationship. And if I run into something that's, that's helpful for them, I'll send it over. And if they run into something that's helpful for me, they'll send it over as well, including you know references and work and all that kind of fun stuff. And I think the strategy just really comes down to, I don't take every meeting now, but I take most meetings. And if I can't make a meeting, I, I at least go through email. And I think it's just you know really kind of pounding the pavement and just meeting and trying to help people. I think you also see from our content, we write a ton on how to like solve things. Hey, this is how you deal with this problem. This is how you deal with this problem. This is how you deal with that problem. And that really helps kind of create a brand of, hey, this person can help me. And when you mix that with, you know, low ego around like, you know, trying to help people and not trying to feel like, oh, I'm so important, therefore, you can't meet with me. I think that helps, you know, just kind of create a a good, helpful brand I think the other thing that helps is really trying to seek truth. I think that a lot of people with their either their marketing or their interactions there's always an angle, right? And and we're in business, so we always have a little bit of an angle like trying to figure out like how we can grow our businesses, but for me, I'm most interested in what is the truth when it comes to solving a problem. That's why we're so data, you know, informed or driven when it comes to our content, and that's why so much data comes into our content is because we're sitting there and we're thinking, okay, you know, everyone's talking. I only want to talk about things that I have data on or that I feel like I know to an extent that I can actually support what I'm about to say. And that seeking of truth and that being honest with what we don't know, I think has also helped kind of create a, a bit of a brand around, hey, this is going to be helpful. It's going to be low BS. Um, and it's, it's going to be somewhat pleasant.
0: Interesting. What, what I love about what you said is that, first of all, you know I was asking about building a big brand and you didn't talk about social media strategies or anything like, like that. you talked about one on one connections and really going out and building the network, uh, not being afraid to take meetings even with people that may be more or less successful than you because you know you could learn something from almost everyone and you could probably teach a lot of people different things and I also thought it was interesting that you know we started this conversation, you talked about having some of that hubris and confidence to go start a business, which is nothing wrong with that. You probably needed it. But then coming back to saying how important humility is to go out there and, and build a brand to really provide value for others, focus on that and know that it's going to reward you in the end because you're seeking truth. You know, you're not saying things that aren't backed by actual data or experience and that you're trying to provide as much value, as much as you can to people in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you're doing that, I noticed that you also do place a lot of importance, I'm guessing, on um, putting a really good-looking product out there because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you started your your podcast, Protect the Hustle, which you have a video component of that. At, at least from what I've seen, it's, it's pretty highly edited and uh, really well put together. What was the, the impetus and the strategy behind that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think we're... There's a couple of things. So, one, we are... We're actually launching and we 've kind of already launched it, but we 're kind of formally launching essentially a, a media product, so a media company inside profitwell and I know that sounds very grandiose, um, but that 's essentially what it is and it might not look exactly like that when it 's done or when it 's launched, but I think that that's that 's kind of where our focus is and the reason for that is because we we just found that our content did well, and there were some things that ha- were happening in the world of kind of inbound and content marketing, and we wanted to kind of Basically, you know, kind of take advantage of that. And so we started doing just episodic content. So basically, every, we don't do like one off content anymore, one off blog posts. We um, probably will in the future, but we just kind of started doubling down on, on shows basically. Uh, so we have a show called Protect the Hustle that you mentioned, which is kind of like a podcast. We have a, um, you know, a show called Pricing Page Teardown, which is a weekly show where we you know, tear down pricing pages. And then we have a one called Profitwell Report. Um, we're going to be launching a daily in a couple of weeks here. And the thing is, is it gives good, high-quality touch points. And, and the quality comes into play because I think that a lot of people who are kind of posting on LinkedIn and in other places, you know, video works really well. But if you just kind of take a little bit of extra effort, um, and sometimes a lot of extra effort, unfortunately, <laughs> depending on, you know, the day, and put together like some production value... It actually goes a long way in terms of brand and and how people perceive you. So we had basically a lot of folks who, who really like our, our content. And I think that yes, the content, the actual content is quality, but the production value shows that we're kind of taking it seriously. And, you know, we want it to be good and, and we're building that relationship with our audience. And so, you know, it's working out well. I think there's a lot of things we need to optimize, but you know, it's one of those things that, that we're pretty excited by.
0: Yeah, I think for anybody on there that is looking at, you know, maybe they go and look at my content versus your content, they they might look at mine and say, "Hey, there's a guy with an iPhone or a webcam who produces some pretty good stuff." And they look at your content and say, "This guy has a full-on media team who is or highly professional, and they're putting some really good stuff out there." I mean, the the difference is very clear, and you're saying that that difference pays off in the long run as you're going out to build a brand for your company.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think what's what's kind of fascinating is. It took us a while to get to this place. So we started doing this in January of this year. And um, now we have these three shows. We're launching our fourth. And we are pretty lean and efficient. So we have basically, you know, two full-time people on media that are dedicated to shows. And and that's it. And so those individuals, we really looked at the efficiency. We're able to get the prices down pretty considerably. And so that was a big thing is looking at it as, okay... If we're gonna do this with constraints, what are those limiting factors gonna create? And it created a lot of you know good creativity and, and kind of cleverness and in, in how we kind of produce these things.
0: That's cool. Where do you see all this going? What's your vision, your grand vision for Profit Well and for the brand and everything you're doing?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of ways to to kind of describe it. I think. <laughs> there's one direction or there's one, we don't have like a very clear cut, like we want to be the Uber for X, like some people do. I think for us, the the closest example, and it's not even really that perfect of one, is kind of like the Bloomberg of the subscription economy. And if you don't know, I think you probably know given kind of your background, but if, if those listening don't know, like Bloomberg is actually, it's actually a software and hardware company before it's a media company. Right. Um, the media is, is basically there to support Uh, or at least in the early days was to kind of support the hardware and the software. And then it kind of took off and became, you know, basically its own entity. And so that's kind of the thing that we think about. And that's more of like a a pro or not a product, but more of like a, a overall business. I think from a product perspective, you know, we're really trying to become what business intelligence should be. If you look at most business intelligence products, basically what they are is they take a bunch of data and they make a bunch of graphs. And I know that that, sounds really derogatory, and it is, but it's, you know, it's not an easy problem, right? To, especially when you're in a large organization. I think the issue though is that that's not intelligence, that's just information and analytics. And what we're trying to do is basically get to the next level of business intelligence from a product perspective, which basically means, hey, we not only give you your graphs, which you know are important for a whole host of reasons, but we point out the problem and then we have the solution to fix the problem. And if we can get that even, you know, half right, that's a pretty big leap forward for kind of this world of business intelligence. And that's that's kind of the, the product mission that we're sitting on.
0: That's awesome. What do you think? As you've been out there working with entrepreneurs and businesses, you've started your own company and, and gotten over so many challenges to build it as, as big as you have. What do you think is one of the biggest things that holds people back from not pursuing that business they want to start or or that dream that they want to pursue?
1: I'm going to say something that's probably like I wouldn't believe if I was in that position because I don't think I really believed it. I, I think it really is. I think it really is mindset. Hmm. And I know that sounds a little fluffy, but I, I think, you know, the people who jump in or, or, or don't jump in and what's holding them back is is some sort of fear. And that fear is very like worst case scenario. And they don't trust themselves enough. I'm not saying like trust yourself, you know, implicit or, or completely because I think that there's things that you're not going to know and that's okay but trust yourself to at least be able to fail and to be able to fail, fail gloriously and i think that that's what holds people back and then the people who do jump in that that don't find success i think there's obviously you know certain aspects of luck with this and in timing but there's also not quitting while you're while you're behind right and and i think a lot of people what they end up doing is they jump in and they're like oh know this is hard. And yeah, it is hard because you don't realize the surface area that it takes to actually build a business because it's not just the one thing you like to do. It's all these other things that you don't know how to do or are not good at or don't like to do. And I think a lot of people what they end up doing is just kind of thinking that it's going to be fun and they want to play startup. And and I think that mindset, you know, holds them back from success because they don't put all they're all in it. So long story short, I think it, it really just kind of comes down to trusting yourself and then putting yourself all in. And there's gonna be major trade offs. I think that when I was early on, I didn't realize the trade offs you'd have to make. And it's everything from, you know, not being able to necessarily go to the places that you want to or have the flexibility all the way to, you know, relationships and not being able to go out this night or that night and, you know, needing to maybe not have the same partner that you have. I think that happened to me it's not entirely the the business's fault, but I think it doesn't help you know that that the business was so intense you know the first few years and still is pretty intense and so I feel like if you know yourself and and you have kind of the mindset of going into it that this is what you want to do and you want to dedicate your life for a certain amount of time to it, it's not easy, but it's not extremely difficult. There's so many resources out there to to build a business of a size that you can be successful now, building a mega business that's a whole other story but you know, we're in a world now where, you know, if you want to freelance, if you want to be a consultant, if you want to start a small business, if you want to build, you know, even a good sized business, you know, everything's there. It's just, it just comes down to your mindset.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I I heard you talk about being willing to face the fear and take a chance, be willing to trust yourself and that you can deal with failure and that, uh, learn from it. And it's okay to do that. And I heard you talk about the fact that it's not necessarily going to be an easy road. That you're going to run up against challenges and struggles, and you've got to be willing to push through that and work harder than you have before. And you know, Gary Vee talks about that all the time in his talks and his videos. That if you're sitting around watching Netflix for three hours a night, you're not really hustling as much as you could be. And uh, you know, therefore, you have no one to blame but yourself. And of course, life is absolutely full of trade offs. I talk about this all the time. You get to live the life you want. You get to work where you want to work, and you know, if you're not doing something, you say you want to work out or you say you want to make more money, and you're not spending enough time in those areas, then that's your choice. And uh, it sounds like you've chosen to work really hard in this business to, to hustle and grind it out. And you've been pretty successful so far. And I'm excited to see where things go from here. So thanks for coming on, Patrick, and, and sharing some of your insights and knowledge. Um, if people want to find out more, see some of your videos, your shows, maybe check out your business, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah. So the personally, just PC at ProfitWell.com or find me on LinkedIn at Patrick Campbell. And then we have a ton of content on pricing and subscriptions and all that kind of fun stuff at ProfitWell.com. So yeah, long story short, thanks for having me and i um, always happy to help.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. This has been, uh, it's been really great. Cool uh, getting to know you uh, after following you so long on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm looking forward to staying in touch and seeing where you take ProfitWell and uh, the rest of your shows in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All
0: right, take care.